0: Today's episode is brought to you by Cliffhangers. Last episode, we met the mysterious duo who referenced having been saved by Mega Man in the past, talked about alien energies, and generally got a whole lot of questions asked with no answers, only to be told we'd find them out in a game that wasn't out yet. Well, now it's 1997 and Mega Man 8's out on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this show is my attempt to chronicle my playthrough of the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11 and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can. Today we're tackling the first Mega Man title that is a main-numbered classic game to have left Nintendo systems behind entirely. In fact, it's kind of the only one that did that. Every other classic-numbered Mega Man game has premiered on a Nintendo console. But it seemed that Capcom had decided they didn't like the way that the N64 was looking for what they wanted to do, and so they released their eighth Mega Man title on the PlayStation and the Sega Saturn. For the most part, the two releases of the games are roughly identical. There are some small differences between them. The Saturn version weirdly has, like, more enemies. It has a little bit of a different sound font for its music, which we'll get to in the finale section. The Saturn version, interestingly, has a bonus menu to it in-game, which has a whole bunch of, like, unlockable gallery features, artwork and stuff that you can just look through, and it also has a couple bonus boss fights that I'll just cover right now, where you can get into, like, remixed fights with Woodman and Cutman in certain stages, and they're just not there in the PlayStation version. As a result, the Saturn version is probably the better version of the game, so naturally the PlayStation version is the one that keeps being re-released on the various collections, Anyway, stuff to look forward to in playing this game. For one, this game is actually kind of gorgeous. It takes Like, a lot of the refinement that was done updating to a new visual era in Mega Man 7, but then takes advantage of the CD hardware to do, like, much more detailed backgrounds and a whole lot less repeated visuals to construct the stages. Like, these stages and the art style and stuff, it's all very nice definition. It still looks good to this day. Everything is very smooth and very comfortably animated, and this is like the first Mega Man game that doesn't have any issues with slowdown whatsoever. They took advantage of and designed around the added power of the CD consoles that were just now being asked to run a 2D game when they were designed for 3D, so this game is fine showing off like flooding a screen with like a couple dozen Metars dropping down at once, and nothing happens. The game just continues to run, and they take advantage of that. And some of this runs in gameplay aspects, too. One neat change about this game is that one of the past hindrances of Mega Man games is actually gone in this one. That specific hindrance being that you used to have to wait for a weapon to leave the screen or like pause the game in order to remove it in order to swap weapons because the game could only keep so much like visual data loaded at once. And this one, no, you can literally fire one special weapon, your Mega Buster, and swap to another special weapon and have all these different weapons on screen and active at the same time. It's actually really neat speaking of which one change that was implemented in this game that it goes in and out of the rest of the series It's that your special weapon button and your mega buster weapon are now separate buttons. This means that even when you have a weapon set, you can still be using your regular buster, but also it's a little bit awkward to get used to on a control front just because, like, the two-button setup is very easy to handle, like, jump and shoot and very comfortable. Working in a third button into that rotation is a little bit tricky, and that's why, like, I usually change my dash button to one of the RL triggers when I'm playing the X games, for instance, because it's just like, it is much easier to juggle... uh, Anyway, despite the slight awkwardness that it takes to get used to, it is actually a nice setup that enables you to really use your abilities in ways you haven't before. Speaking of your weapons in this game, you actually get a numerical display above your weapon energy bar that tells you exactly how many shots you have left of special weapons. Nice! What other gameplay changes do we have to deal with here? Oh, yeah. um, They brought back the shop aspect from previous Mega Man games. Unlike the last couple Mega Man games that have featured a shop, however, the bolts in this game are not like random enemy drops, or anything you can get an infinite number of. Instead, in this game, bolts are collectibles. There's a total of 40 to find in the game, and that's it. And this does mean that every item only takes like four to seven different bolts to buy, but interestingly, there's actually 17 different items, and you can only ever buy eight of them on any given playthrough. You have to pick and choose which upgrades you actually want, and they don't carry over either. There is no new game plus or anything, so you're starting from scratch. These items do actually have a variety of different uses. There's some that affect the number of lives that you get to attempt stages. There's some that augment your basic functions, like sliding or charging your megabuster faster or climbing ladders faster. There's some that actually change your megabuster. For instance, there's the arrow shot, which makes your megabuster explode on contact into like a vertical spread of smaller shots. You can switch these on on and off in the menu at any point. The good old classic energy balancer is there, and also a new variant called the Energy Saver, which reduces the weapon ammo used by your weapons, and also a new one that converts extra life energy you pick up into weapon energy automatically for you. Although it's worth noting none of these are terribly important, because for maybe the only time in the series that I'm aware of, anytime you die, you also fully recover your weapon energy in this game. You don't have to game over. Literally, every stage you start and every time you die, die in those stages, you get full weapon energy back. The variety of stuff available in the shop is just really neat in this game, even though it's kind of sad that you can't get all of it, I kind of understand at the same time. One thing that does suck about the shop is that the ability to exit a stage that you've already cleared is one of those items in the shop, meaning you'll have to spend bolts in one of your eight item slots on it. That's dumb. I hate that. The other major change in general to the gameplay in Mega Man 8 is the way that Rush functions. You do not have Rush at the beginning of this game, and you instead pick up different Rush forms that are dropped by four different mid-bosses throughout the game. These Rush forms can each be summoned into every stage once, and it's worth noting, the Rush Coil and the Rush Jet, the traditional tools, nope, they're not here. What you do get instead is the Rush Bike, which literally turns Rush into a motorcycle that moves really fast and lets you easily cross long gaps. You're also, like, invincible while riding him, but any damage you take reduces the amount of time he lasts. There's the Rush Bomber, which causes Rush to spend some time flying up at the top of the screen just dropping explosives on the enemies. The Rush Charger, which is amazing, it has Rush fly around at the top of the screen and just drop down a bunch of weapon and life energy. It's worth noting, there isn't actually E-tanks in this game. That system is completely gone, but the Rush Charger effectively replaces it because you will be able to recharge to, like, full health and stuff off of its drops. So you're basically kind of getting one E-tank per stage once you find this weapon. Actually, really nice. I like it. And finally, the Rush question, which just makes Rush jump down and do something. Sometimes he'll literally just fall asleep and do nothing. Sometimes he'll throw you, like, a life energy that you need. I actually had him, in one fight, throw me a Yashichi from Mega Man 1, which fully healed and weapon energy like, refilled me. And it was amazing because I was literally about to die on the final boss. And, like, what goddamn timing that was, let me tell you. Mega Man 8 is full of little changes and tweaks and new ideas that actually, like, have some big impact on the way the game plays. I won't lie, I actually ended up liking a lot of them. They make for a pretty fun game. Of course, it's not just, like, backgrounds and stuff that got changed up as well. We also get some animated cutscenes, and they are naturally voice-acted. Um, this game's voice-acting is famous. As in famously bad. As in, we must shop up Dr. Huawei. I'm not even really making much of an uh, attempt at that impression, but also I don't think many of the voice actors made all that much of an attempt. Um, <laughs> okay, that that's unfair. They probably did, but I'm very curious how some of these lines ended up recorded the way that they did. Oh, and we're in an era before subtitles, so the fact that the audio mixing is kind of bad is a bit of a problem if you've got auditory processing issues, like me. <laughs> But I bring up the animated cutscenes because our game actually opens on one. It shows us two forces, one blue and purple robot-like force fighting out in outer space. But then one of them gets damaged and they end up, like, I want to say crashing down to Earth, even though they were fighting over by Saturn. They make quite the trip. To go specifically there. Mega Man and Bass back on Earth were busy fighting when all of a sudden a meteor hits the Earth and Dr. Light messages Mega Man being like, hey, you should uh go check that out. God, Dr. Light's voice is especially atrocious in this game. How the hell did that happen? When we find that meteor, we'll find Dr. Wowie. That leads us to our opening stage, which is a fairly simple stage with a tropical island theme to it. We actually get given our first special weapon partway through this stage instead of having to earn it from a robot master. It's the Mega Ball. I'll cover it in the weapons section. I can't believe Mega Man Soccer is canon. Who decided on that one? But at the end of the stage, we have to fight a little crab boss, which is easiest beaten by just kicking a mega ball into its face. We find a crashed robot, Duo, and another crashed robot that, like, Wily flies down with his capsule and runs off with. We bring Duo back to the lab, and Dr. Light starts working on repairing him. And he's like, hey, we don't know what's going on with Dr. Wily. We don't know what that meteor had, but it seemed to have an immense energy. You need to go after him. And so we go to our stage select. So, this game, once again, follows the Mega Man World formula of four bosses, and then a mid-stage, and then four more bosses. In this game, as we'll get to, that was actually a very interesting design choice that enabled some cool stage design later, but we'll save that for when we're at those stages. The two more traditional stages first, Grenade Man. His stage is defined by destroyable terrain. Sometimes you'll need to blow open a path for yourself, sometimes you'll actually need to avoid firing recklessly, because you may end up blowing open, like, holes in the floor that are now deadly pits that... If you had just held your fire, you'd be fine on Still, it's a fairly simple stage to look through. You shouldn't ever end up in a situation where you can no longer proceed. The boss himself is very active, but very, very simple. Most of what he just does is jump around and throw various explosives at you. Very classic Mega Man in his simplicity. One thing he does do is that when his HP drops low, he actually drops a bunch of mines on the ground and it blows up the floor, and then you land down on a lower section where now the floor is uneven and it's a bit harder to dodge his attacks, but that's like the only trick to the fight. Clown Man's stage is kind of adorable, it is filled with miniature toys of like different robot masters and mini-bosses from the previous games, and there's like gimmick sections to it where every so often a bell rings in the background and whichever section of the floor you touch next will respond with like damaging you or like teleporting you to a different part of this area. It's just kind of a neat little section. It's a fairly fun stage. The boss himself is very very acrobatic as you might expect from the name. He tends to tether himself to a hook in the center of the stage and like swing around it and stuff to attack you. For the most part if you stay in the center of the stage it it's really easy to avoid his various different attacks. The only thing you have to watch for is an attack that he calls out by saying Thunderclaw because audio cues arc thing in this game. When he does that, you just need to make sure that you jump because he's going to attack you from below. But that's it. I actually really like the fact that one of his mechanics is swinging around that tether on the center. One thing that will come up later is that his weapon basically allows you to do that and you will use that for later stages. So that's like really neat that that's actually demonstrated by the boss. The less traditional stages are a bit of a touchy subject in Mega Man 8. Frostman's stage is a pretty standard stage. There's a bunch of, like, sliding ice cubes and stuff. The thing that is notable about Frostman is... Jump! Jump! Slide! Slide! And I probably just triggered PTSD in a couple people. Basically, Mega Man decided they really wanted to do the minecart segments from Donkey Kong Country. So you have this section of just jumping on a sliding platform and having to respond to, like sliding under walls or jumping over pits, but the game puts up a big warning sign and gives you like an audio cue whenever you're about to have to do it. It's not actually that bad, but also every time you jump, you want to move a little bit forward to increase your jump distance. The platforming in these sections actually can be really tight sometimes. These are probably some of the worst segments of Mega Man 8, to be honest, because while you are still allowed to use your different weapons during them, there isn't much of a point to it and they're auto-scrollery and they just, they don't feel so hot. Frostman himself, big dude, most of the fight consists of sliding under him when he jumps towards you and then, like, running away from a big ice punch or getting ready to jump over his frost wave attack. If I say it's a big ice boss, you probably can picture the Frostman fight in your head. Tengu Man's the other unusual one. The half of the stage that uses platforming is actually based around, like, a wind effect going on and having to jump to, like, platforms that keep changing their height and stuff. But it's not as scary as I make it sound. The platforms are fairly wide. The real gimmick of Tengu Man's stage, though, is the shmup segment. By which I mean, there's a point where you just call down Rush and jump on the Rush jet. You just fly through the rest of the stage, shooting down various enemies and flying through, like, a battleship and stuff. There's, like, power-ups that are specific to this section that you can pick up that like make rush auto-fire, or like that calls auto-along to float beside you and fire missiles and stuff like that. Important to note for these sections, you can still swap to and use your various special weapons. This isn't like the Mega Man World 5 shmup segments, where, yeah, you were still locked to a weapon specific to that. No, Tengu Man's shmup segment, it is an auto-scroller, and some people may dislike that in a Mega Man game, but also, it's fun and enables the various tools that you got. I'm just going to throw this out into the universe. I would play a full Mega Man shmup. I absolutely would. I'm genuinely surprised I've never seen one even, like, demo tried out by some fan game creator out there. You could do some cool stuff with this if you really dug into it, and this stage just shows, like, the beginning of that potential, and I actually really like it. Tengu Man himself is kind of Storm eagle light. He does a lot of flying around at the top of the screen throws projectiles down to try to blow you off the platform, or catch you in his tornado hold attack, which, like, lifts you into the air, and then he body slams you. Not a particularly difficult boss. I'll be frank. Other than the final boss of this game, actually, very few bosses in this game are really all that difficult at all. A couple have trickier-to-learn patterns than others. To be fair, when I say patterns, I actually mean just attacks they can select from. Almost no boss in this game has a static pattern. A couple of them have, like, loops you can catch them in with their special weapons but for the most part the bosses will usually continue attacking you normally even if you're hitting them with their special weapons if you catch them at the right time you may be able to like stun them for a couple seconds and it's not even mega man 7 style stun where like they spend 10 years invincible you actually just, like, get to land additional hits on them. I don't know, I really like the way the special weapons interact with most of the bosses in this game, actually. But they're not hard, not just because they aren't terribly difficult to learn the different attacks of, but also because, um, you almost seem to take no damage from anything in this game. It feels like this entire game, you just take half the damage you would in any other Mega Man game. Or maybe there's just a ton more life being dropped, and I don't really notice, because this game doesn't pause when you pick up, like, weapon and life energy. But... This game's difficulty almost always, for me, came from its platforming rather than its enemy difficulty, because some of these later stages we'll be getting to are um, really fond of spikes and pits and stuff like that. It's unfortunate that that's where the difficulty comes from. Intermission stage. Once you clear the first four Robot Masters, we get another anime cutscene of Dr. Light. He's been rebooting Duo, Mega Man's been collecting these orbs of evil energy from the bosses you've defeated. Duo wakes up and finds these orbs of evil energy and assumes the worst and runs off with them, so we have to go chase him into a mine. The fight with Duo is really kind of boring, actually. He basically tries to like either punch you, jump at you, or like bounce around the room as a comet, and that's like all he does. It definitely has a, like, Mega Man killer level of simplicity to the boss fight. Anyway, we snap Duo out of his rage, and then we go accompany him to go try to take down Dr. Wily. But, of course, Dr. Wily intercepts Mega Man with this giant robot that grabs him. And there is this, like, uncomfortably long, like, 20-second shot of Mega Man being executed while screaming. And I mean, like, twenty actual seconds here. It goes on forever. Duo saves us by chopping off the robot's arm. It turns out he's here from space to destroy the evil energy that was the other robot he was fighting. Now that Wiley's gotten a hold of the evil energy, like it's spreading from him because he's so evil and it's going to infect the whole planet, Duo's going to take care of that while we go handle the robot masters that are blocking the barrier generators to Dr. Wiley's tower. And this is where our second stage set kicks off with Astro Man. Stage involves different abstract spaces that you're teleporting between. Like, there's platforming sections where you'll have to deal with platformings fading in and out. There's looping maze sections where, like, going all the way to the right will eventually loop you back to where you were. And you have to, like, push buttons to move gates to open up different paths the next time you come through. And there's even, like, a sinking tower section that you have to, like, race to the top, which this is one of those spots where, like, there's a lot of pits you can fall in in this stage, and it sucks. Sometimes the platforming in this game is really precise, and this was the stage I started to notice it in. The boss himself, Astro Man, spends most of the time hanging up at the top of the screen. He's got these two orbs floating around him that will often block your attacks. You basically have to wait for him to float down in some sort of pattern that you can reasonably hit him in, or take advantage of special weapons. Occasionally, he goes basically invincible and just drops a bunch of random meteors down. Yeah, again, not too difficult. You just have to be kind of patient with him. Aquaman stage is the largely underwater stage as you'd expect, and it's in this stage that we really noticed something else that was added to Mega Man 8, swimming. This is the first official Japanese-designed Mega Man game in which he can swim. He could actually swim in Mega Man DOS 3 before. So, once again, Mega Man DOS infects the rest of the series. In this case, though, the stage is actually well-designed around the way the swimming mechanic works, which is basically like short hops that push you forward that you can just do infinitely in the water. It is actually not that hard to get control over it, and the stage design is overall fairly generous about it, too, so it's not as bad as it could have been. The mid-boss, on the other hand, kind of sucks. It's a fall down a waterfall section that goes technically endlessly, but it's got, like, randomly generated log platforms that the boss likes to break, and sometimes you just end up falling for a while, and the boss is gonna hit you, and there isn't really any way to dodge it. Otherwise, I really quite like this stage. As for the boss, I kind of wish you fought him underwater, because I think that'd give this fight something more unique. As is Aquaman is mostly a jump around and fire different projectiles at you. The most notable thing about Aquaman is that he writes his name in a rainbow at the start and is like, I'm Aquaman, but you can call me handsome guy. Which, congratulations to Mega Man on having your first LGBT character years before other series. Next up, we'll head to Search Man's stage. This stage is a jungle stage that takes advantage of various grapple points. If you remember, I mentioned that Clown Man could grapple onto different pegs in the background and, like, swing off them. Yeah, you can do that using Clown Man's weapon, and you'll have to do that. And this stage can be designed around requiring you to do that, because you have to have Clown Man's weapon in this stage. And we're going to see that a bunch, actually, in the next stage, too. And you might think, oh, great, there's a chance for weapon screw. Surprisingly, no. This game's actually making a point in general to be really generous and ensure there's, like, respawning enemies any time that you would have to have a special weapon in order to proceed. Literally, just there'll be an enemy respawner right behind you that is guaranteed to drop weapon energy. So, if you are out when you have to thunderclaw across a gap, that's not the problem. The problem is going to be the fact that using the thunderclaw as a grapple kind of sucks, and we're going to come back to that. It's not as bad here as it is in a future stage, but... mm. As for the boss himself, he's probably the toughest of the Robot Masters by a significant margin, just due to the fact that many of his attacks are a little bit trickier to avoid and to figure out how to avoid, including one where he hides in the background in a bunch of different piles of leaves and like then sends search signals out at you. Also, he's the only two-headed Robot Master in the series, which I just thought was kind of neat. And of course, they play with that with the fact that he's got voice acting, but having have him have two different voice actors who talk to each other. Finally, we get to my favorite stage in this game, or at least half my favorite stage, Swordman, who, when you select him, will occasionally say, I'm Swordsman, which is wrong. It says Swordman, singular. This stage starts out with you jumping into an ancient ruin, and the idea is is that in order to proceed through it, you need to clear four smaller trials. Besides each of these trials is a different weapon icon in the background, and these indicate the four different weapons from the first four robot masters that you'll use to solve different puzzles. For instance, you'll use the flash bomb, in one of the rooms to light up the background in these dark rooms and see a code that you'll need to enter in the last room. Or you'll use the ice wave's ability to travel along the ground to freeze these fire pillars that should be in your way and should be instant death. This is probably one of the best cases for the 4-4 Robot Master Split style. This means that you can now design the second set of Robot Master stages to take advantage of tools that you got in the first set. I love it. Like, I know you can do that in the Wily Fortress as well, and, you know, several Mega Man games have, but being able to do it more? Thumbs up. Unfortunately, the rest of the stage turns into, like, this... Flaming Volcano Stage. It isn't as fun. Some of the gimmicks of the moving platforms in it are actually a little bit finicky, and I definitely got like kind of a couple tricky deaths that felt a little cheap in there because just stuff didn't work the way I expected it to, but whatever. Swordman himself is actually a kind of a neat boss in that his lower half and upper half are separated and can act independently, and sometimes he'll actually like split that up to attack you in a different way, but his attacks are very slow as long as you stay away from him, they're very predictable. The only time you don't stay away from him, basically, is when he jumps onto the wall behind him, in which case you want to run in close to avoid a giant totem being dropped on you out of nowhere. I don't really know what that had to do with Swordman, but yeah, pretty simple. With all that covered, let's head into our weapon selection. So, One thing that is a disappointment about the weapons in this game is that when we get them, all we get is a scene telling us the name of the weapon. That's it. Mega Man 7 was a step back by just having Dr. Light and Mega talk about the weapon, but at least that gave us some info about what the weapon was and what it did. Come on, they had it right. They were at a point where they were demonstrating the weapons for us. Why did they go away from that? Uh, Anyway, that's the worst thing I have to say about the weapons in this game. Starting from the worst weapon... We do have, my personal choice is the homing sniper. It's a homing torpedo shot. It's not particularly powerful. I didn't ever find myself using it. There just wasn't really any reason for me to use it. I don't know if it's necessarily bad. Didn't need it. Water Balloon was a little bit above that, but not by much. The Water Balloon is basically just a straightforward shot that is a little bit affected by gravity, so it has a bit of an arc about it. The main advantage to it seems to be the fact that it has a ton of ammunition compared to other weapons and is a little bit stronger than your basic buster, but eh. But that's kind of like it in terms of bad weapons. Even then, they're just mediocre and boring. The Thunderclaw is the next one. This should technically be a neat weapon. It's kind of like an upgraded strike chain, which yeah, the strike chain in X2 was a bad weapon. And Thunderclaw, in some ways, is worse because it stops us from moving while it's active, but it does seem to actually do some respectable damage. It does tend to pierce through multiple enemies if it needs to, and you can use it on the various pegs that are in the background on certain stages in order to, like, Simon Belmont-style swing yourself across a gap. The pain in the neck part comes from the fact that you need to hit with exactly the tip of the thunder claw. So if you have to do this in succession, it's actually really hard to time this, right? And unfortunately, there's a couple stages in the future that are designed around that. I found myself frustrated with the Thunderclaw most of the time. It is a neat weapon design, and I can at least respect that, but I didn't like using it as much as I wanted to. Next up is another simple weapon, which is the flame sword. It is basically Mega Man 7 slash claw, but shorter, in that it is a strong weapon, you just have to get up in something's face in order to use it. Next up is the Astro Crush. This only has four uses per stage by default, but also it makes you invincible for like two seconds wherever you are, which is sometimes useful for dodging certain attacks, while at the same time spending like three seconds raining down meteors and just damaging everything on the screen. Pretty solid. It's a bigger, flashier gravity hold and such, and hey, those are pretty good weapons, so. Especially with the ability to equip this at the same time as your Mega Buster, it actually probably helps out this weapon quite a bit, because you can just sit on it and just Mega Buster through minor challenges and then pop this when you need it. The next four weapons can all be argued to be the best weapon in the game. They're all really good. The least interesting of them is the flash bomb, which is just a straightforward projectile that creates an explosion that lasts for like three or four seconds. That explosion constantly does damage during its time, which means that one flash bomb destroys almost every regular enemy in the game. It's just a super good, super basic weapon that makes the damage output of most of the other weapons kind of irrelevant because it's good enough. The next interesting weapon is the Ice Wave. It's a ground-tracking weapon, like the bubble lead. Usually these weapons have been bad. There's a couple differences about the Ice Wave, though. For one, it can travel up walls that it finds. So if it just, like, runs to the end of a platform and hits a wall, it will scale that wall and then keep going, which enables it to hit a lot of enemies in places that honestly other weapons in this game aren't super equipped to handle. It's also very strong, and it's very fast like this thing rockets across the screen you can't even keep up with it with slides as a result this is possibly the best ground tracking weapon i've seen in the series definitely the best to date i don't know if there's a later one that is better than it but the ice wave is legitimately like an excellent execution of that idea it's very useful and very practical the third top tier weapon in this game goes to the tornado hole this is a short-range shot that once it lands, generates a tornado that spirals upwards from wherever it was for a few seconds. This tornado repeatedly does some damage to enemies, and it does enough to usually kill most enemies. The real power of the tornado hold is the fact that if you jump into it, it will lift you up, and you can actually gain some serious height off of this thing. It's worth remembering, the rush coil isn't a thing in this game, so using the tornado hold is the only way to scale up, like, tall walls and stuff. Or it would be if the Mega Ball didn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, the Mega Ball is kind of silly. You press the button once and it drops a ball in front of you. You press the button while the ball is out and Mega Man will do a kick. And if you kick the ball, you will get like a diagonally traveling projectile that bounces off of walls. It doesn't sound like it's that great of a weapon, but there's a couple things to keep in mind. One is that it does actually do respectable damage. And two, if you jump in the air and like fire it forward while moving forward and then press the jump button, you can actually jump off of a Mega Ball in midair. And while the timing to do this repeatedly is very weird and difficult, you can actually basically infinite jump with this thing it's one of those tools that gets increasingly good the better you get at this game, to the point where, like, speedruns of this game are constantly using the Mega Ball. It's actually kind of nuts to see, and ridiculous how much this opens up the game. It's not necessarily the best weapon. Again, any of these last four tools, you could probably make the argument that they're the best weapon in the game, because none of them are super standout above the other, but they're all really cool and really fun, and weapons I really, really love. Mega Man 8's weapon set in general, the latest Eight four robot master weapons aren't all that special, but the first five are pretty neat. And we're going to take that arsenal with us to finally face Dr. Wily. And unfortunately, Dr. Wily's first stage in this game can go the hell away. I mentioned earlier that most of the difficulty in this game comes from instant death. Yep, that's Dr. Wily's Fortress Stage 1 in a nutshell. The first half of the stage is jump, jump time, except this time it's even stricter and easier to screw up through, like, repeated short platform jumps and stuff than before. And then in the second half, you have to do a Thunderclaw segment where you do actually have to swing across gaps that falling in them will just kill you, and you do have to, like, back-to-back chain your Thunderclaw to get across a couple of them. Fuck this stage, basically. <laughs> the boss itself is also kind of neat. It is designed to be killed exclusively with the Mega Ball. It hangs around on the ceiling, and you have to kick the Mega Ball up into it. In other places where it isn't, it will drop down either, like, supply crates that will provide ammo for the Mega Ball, or just, like... Various different weaponry sets that will fall down and then attack you and then break. It's a really creative boss. It's just really awkward to find the positioning for it. So I kind of like it, but I also kind of don't. I don't know. Dr. Wily Fortress Stage 2 is another shmup segment, and this time we do have our full arsenal to use in the midst of it. It's a fairly basic stage, though, and I don't even think as interestingly designed as the one in Tengu Man's. It tries to trap you at one point where you need to, like, actively move through some walls in order to avoid being crushed, but that's the only trick to the stage. At the end of it, we remain in the shmup form as we fight a boss fight, which is this, like, featureless robot with extending wings and stuff that fires different attacks while the wings are extended, but that's also when we can damage it. It could have been neat, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. Stage three, none of the vehicular gimmicks. It's just a fairly basic stage. It mostly uses timed platforms that explode when they run out of time, and spike pits, and traversing the two of them, and that wouldn't be that noticeable, except at the very end of the segment, you need to use like the tornado hold or some megaball jumps or something to cross the final gap because the gap is literally just too wide to jump. It literally won't work. Partway through the stage, we do run into Base, our favorite mid-boss, who fuses himself up with Treble, and this time we don't have the jet adapter to chase after him, but also we don't need it, and there isn't, like, high-jump platforms at the bottom that we can use to chase him around. No, it's just a standard boss arena. He's developed a couple new attacks, like a laser sweep across part of the arena and stuff, but honestly, it's a way easier boss fight than Base's in Seven, just because, again, everything does so little damage in this game that you're probably going to beat him just by damage rushing him. The actual boss at the end of the stage is the Green Devil, which is like the old-school Yellow Devil, but this one's made out of green jelly, which means that whenever he's quote-unquote vulnerable, we actually need to rapidly hit him in the face in order to unveil the core, and then we can damage that. The various attacks between these phases are, as is Yellow Devil tradition, really irritatingly long and boring, and they don't even feel particularly threatening in this one, and then it takes forever for him to just do this reformat animation It's a pretty animation, but it's just slow. Anyway, slap him in the face with the Thunderclaw, which is kind of a callback to slapping the original Yellow Devil in the face with the Thunderbeam. Finally, we head to stage four. We straight up get the boss gauntlet, as you would expect, and then it's time to fight Dr. Wily. <music> Dr. Wily catches Mega Man in a trap. Duo saves Mega Man... Proto saves Duo from getting blown up, and then the two of them run away and leave us to fight the Wily Machine, which, as is tradition, is weak to getting hit in the face. There's a couple different weapons you can use. You can use the Mega Ball, you can use the Water Balloon, you can use the Flame Slash. The big trick to this one is it has a variety of different attacks it will fire at you from a support unit, and also you need to watch for it opening up its mouth, because it will start charging a laser, and you actually need to damage the mouth in order to get it to close again, or else the laser that it fires, the only way to avoid taking damage from it is to, like do something awkward like Tornado holding yourself above the shot, or timing your Astro Crush with it. Point is, is it's not actually that hard once you realize you can't dodge the laser. You have to deal with it in some way. Then it's time for the Wily Capsule fight, which mm, Okay, it's not Mega Man 7 level bad. Let me be very very clear about that. In fact, it's should be fairly easy to, like, hit it, and it has a few different attacks this time, one of which, by the way, is the Mega Man 7 pattern that was so god-awful to dodge. At least it doesn't come with the status effects this time. The main thing that makes this tricky is that you had to deal with the Wily machine right beforehand. That and this takes so little damage, and it's pretty hard against this fight to dodge all the attacks that this is the one stage in the game where running out of life is your actual major concern because it's probably going to happen. Having said that, don't forget that you have your rush tools to restock bid fight including, if you're lucky, the rush question mark dropping you a Yashichi like it did for me. Use those rush tools as basically an E-tank and you'll probably be fine. Again, it doesn't do a lot of damage. It's just that this fight goes on for so long that you are going to accumulate damage. Anyway, the Wily capsule crashes and an unknown force flies out of the capsule and possesses Mega Man. We get some, again... Amazing choice voice acting from Duo who rescues Mega Man. This is not good. He's been affected by the evil energy. He will die soon. Ah! And does like this mind melt thing to see Mega Man's thoughts and experiences and realizes Mega Man's a good person so he can heal him from the evil energy and remove it from Earth. And so he returns mega man back to the lab leaving a message of thank you and he he must unfortunately go his people need him or something which makes duo kind of a weird situation because um he's implied to have left earth but canonically we already know he comes back for the power fighters because that game has already been released and we know that that's set after this game and so he's just being dramatic for the sake of it anyway robot roll call and credits which i will say is the best robot roll call and credits we've had to date because in the midst of this we actually actually. actually get to see for the eight robot masters in this game, the original submitted artwork that was used as designs for them in the design contest, which I haven't brought up in forever, but we actually get to see the drawings from different fans of Mega Man that depict these different robot masters. And then, like, through the rest of the credits, we also get to see several designs that weren't used, but that were submitted for the contest that were kind of, like, similar and by different people. And it's just, like, really charming in, like, a some of these are obviously, like, small children drawing this, and some of them are like, oh god, what the hell is that? Oh my god. (laughs) But that's it. That's Mega Man 8. So, what's my overall thoughts on Mega Man 8? it's good. It's a little bit different feeling from the previous games to be sure. There's a few different reasons for it, like the difference in controls to have your special weapon on a separate button. Sometimes it feels good, and sometimes it feels a little awkward. I'm pretty sure that doesn't make it back into the classic series, but we will see it done in a few other Mega Man games. The collectibles to power up in the shop? There's a ton of variety there, and I really like that. Also, the fact that the game doesn't tell you which stages still have vaults and which stages don't feels like a step back after X3 explicitly introduced a way to be like, hey, here's a checklist of things that you may have missed in this stage. It feels really weird to not have some equivalent to that in this game. But the game... Looks great, it sounds great, its difficulty is very low, though occasionally weirdly spiky. Again, usually when this game is difficult, it's because of platforming difficulty, which tends to be instant death difficulty, which I can definitely see frustrating some people, but the combat aspects are definitely easier to deal with than previously in the series. The first half of the weapons that you get in this game are excellent Mega Man weapons. The second half aren't so great. The bosses are generally pretty fun, and... Only one or two of them are really abusable, and the fact that they don't follow exact patterns escapes the problem that, like, X3 whirled into where some of its bosses were way too easy because they were fully predictable. I don't know if I can call it my favorite, but there's a lot of reasons why I think Mega Man 8 is actually a really good game, and I'm surprised I don't feel stronger saying that than I do. Huh. I guess that means I haven't really settled on exactly how I feel about this game. It's hard for me to find, like, major obvious flaws, except maybe the music. But that's unfair to the music. Listen, the only problem that the music in this game has is that it doesn't quite feel like a Mega Man game soundtrack. A lot of this game soundtrack is chill as hell, and I've mentioned in a lot of the games prior the concept of Mega Man energy to the music, that, like, driving beat and stuff, and a lot of the tracks in this game just don't really have that. And that doesn't mean they're bad, because for what they are, they're really nice to listen to and pretty good. It just feels kind of a bit out of place, I guess? I don't know. I mentioned before that one of the only real differences between the Saturn and PlayStation versions of the game is the soundtrack. The Saturn uses a slightly different sound font in its compositions. For the most part, the tracks are identical in terms of melody and what's being played, it's just being played with different instruments, essentially. There is one exception, which is that for some reason, the Saturn version has a completely different music track for Tengu Man's stage, and it's honestly a better track, but it wasn't good enough to make it into the top three. To demonstrate what I mean about really chill music, ha, Frostman, puns. Okay, but actually, like, this is this is a really chill soundtrack with, like, a really neat, like, Arctic ring to the background of it that's being carried by some, like, it's trumpets, but it's not, like, particularly high-energy trumpets. They're almost, like, more soulful. This will be the Saturn version of the track you're about to hear, just because I prefer the crisper woodwind section in it. Next up, we'll use Aquaman's theme. I'm gonna kick this one off with the Saturn version and tradition over to the PS1 version to kind of demonstrate that like, these tracks are very similar and like not really all that different from one another. Aquaman's theme though, this is just chill lo-fi beats to platform to. final track that I'm going to highlight is one of the more energetic tracks in the game, and one of the more chaotic tracks. It's the Wily Machine fight. Not the capsule, but the Wily machine itself. The reason that I picked this track is that it isn't quite what I would have picked for a Wily fight, but this track has, like, a rolling instrumentation to it, and, like, layers coming in and out, and a heavy, like, percussive focus, and this sounds less like a Mega Man track to me, and more like it sounds like a Paper Mario boss track, as weird as that is to say, but... hmm. I actually really like it. We'll have the PlayStation 1 version here because the low tones and percussion are a little bit more fleshed out and help really sell it. But just like, seriously, it's a Paper Mario track. (laughs) That's it for Mega Man 8. For our next game, we'll be sticking around on the PlayStation for a Japan and Europe only release, which is not something you get to say terribly often. Until then, if you like what you've been hearing or want to drop a comment about the show, hit up whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Stop by W-A-I-P-F. .podbean.com if you want to catch the latest episodes or get an RSS feed, or if you want an alert on your Twitter, follow at podcast for, as in the number 4. And by this point, I should be linking the sites and stuff in the show notes if you want to just find them there. Until next time, I've been Garlisle, and just remember, balls and swords in Dr. Wiley's face is his weakness. <laughs> Clown Man had a whole thing where he would like grab onto <sighs> what the hell's the word? Oh god damn it. Um no not thorns, pillars, come on. Hooks? Nubs? Where the f is a thesaurus when I need one?